Let's open in prayer. Father, again, thank you today and each day for what you allow in our lives. Lord, we just want more of you today. We want to know you in that intimate way, that passionate way, that way that wherever we go, you're there, that we give you permission to lead us, to guide us, to instruct us in your ways, to change our lives and transform our lives and make us more like you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us and setting your love upon us. And Lord, speak to us now as we turn to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. One verse this morning, and I'm going to cover lots of verses today. I'm doing something I normally don't do, a topical type. Um, We're going to look at what does a Christian look like? I've often asked people, what does a Christian look like? What is a Christian? And, And those are struggling questions. Even to ask people, what is God like? And try that with some of your friends who profess to be believers, and you might be surprised what they think God is and where God is. And sometimes God is in this wall. And God is a force like turning on a light switch. But God is a personal God. And being that we know God, we need to receive him. Now, please understand that that God has given us, and we'll talk about a little bit today, free will, but yet he's chosen us before the foundation of the world. And you'll never reconcile those two points together on this side of eternity. You won't. People will maybe in this camp or that camp, but the fact is both are taught in the Bible. And when we get to heaven, then and then only, I think that we'll fully understand. Now, in John 1, 11, Jesus here, it says he came to his own And those who were his own did not receive him. That's, again, the Hebrew nation, the Jewish people. They Notice they did not receive him. They rejected him as the Messiah. You have a choice to receive him or reject him. And how you live your life each and every day confirms that. That you either received him or you rejected him. The, the, the scripture is sometimes very hard and, and we struggle sometimes over things we don't know and we argue because sometimes the scripture is hard and is very clear the life that God has called us to. It's a life that is really separated. And we need to make a choice. Are we going to receive him at his word? Are we going to trust him? Or are we going to do it our own way? Our text today is, again, Matthew 6, 33, I believe all of us probably know it well. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What does a Christian look like? Well, he chooses to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. A Christian, he chooses good and not evil. He chooses life rather than death. He chooses love and not hatred. He chooses to walk in God's ways 
and not reject them. He chooses to keep the commandments, the statues, the judgments, instead of transgressing them. He chooses to cleave to God and not turn away from him. He chooses to hear God or he chooses to refuse to hear God. He chooses to worship God rather than other gods. He chooses to live long or to perish quickly in this life. He chooses blessings or he chooses cursings. We have a choice. A choice being a Christian. God gives you and I a choice. How will we live this life? Will we live it in the power of the Spirit or the power of the flesh? As we finished Galatians and we saw that, that they were struggling on their own power. Now the way that you live your life really reinforces that decision. That decision or the fact that you have denied Christ. See, there's many that profess Christ, but they do not have that intimate relationship with Christ. Now, when a person becomes a believer, the Bible likens it in three ways. First, there, there's a, a, a person becomes a babe in Christ, an infant in Christ, and then he grows up and, and he's a young man. And then he becomes a, a, a father, and finally a mature man. So, so a person is growing and changing, being transformed in Christ Jesus. But the decision is something that you make each and every day. Who you will be in Christ or who you'll be in this world. I like what Joshua says in Joshua twenty four fifteen. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose yourselves today who you'll serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which are beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua made a decision for him, his house, they will serve the Lord. And that's what a Christian does. He chooses again to serve the Lord. Worship is serving the Lord. Not just in song, but in the lifestyle and the way we live it. Now, Rosso read Galatians chapter 6, Be not deceived, God will not be mocked. And there are many, again, that profess to be believers, but their very lives deny Jesus Christ. Day in and day out, it's confirmed that they do not know Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not judging. The Bible makes that very clear. Because in the Bible, it says the wheat and tares grow side by side. You can't tell the difference. They, they look outward like they're godly. But in their heart, see, that's what God knows. Their actions, their motives in their heart, God knows. And, and today, I believe that you and I, must make a choice. Who will we serve today? Not a matter of just 
again, just saying, I, I'm going to serve him. And everyone holds their hands up. But will I serve him? Will I live for him? See, God has given us a choice. God has given us free will. And it's interesting, I'm going to read something from Pursuit of God. And it says, our break with the world will be a direct outcome of our changed relation to God. For the world of fallen men does not honor God. Millions call themselves by his name. It is true, they pay some token of respect to him. But a simple test will show how little he really is honored among them. Let the average man be put, put to the proof on the question of who and what is above, and his true position will be exposed. Let him be forced into making a choice between God and money, God and men, God and personal ambition, God and self, and God and human love, and God will take second place every time. Those other things will be exalted above. However, a man may protest, but the proof is in the choices he makes day in and day out throughout his life. I had been working on this message for three or four weeks, and why everything that I was going through are true and they're biblical, yet as I began to put the pieces together the message changed and it was changing me that's what a Christian looks like is one that when he comes under the word that he's changing are you changing are you more like Christ today do you desire more of Christ to be with him in that intimate quiet time alone it's easy to talk and profess and gather together but it's really in our private time that reveals are we truly a christian this is where the rubber meets the road i struggle with busyness Ministry is busy when you're preparing messages all week long and, and you're talking to people, you're going to the hospital, you're visiting, you're encouraging people. There's people been in this church and, and there's a guy that used to be in this church, he's in Kona, we talked for an hour this week. There's people in the East Coast and, and people want to stay connected and it's busyness. Where's the time for God? Just as I struggle in that time, I know in your own way, you must struggle to say, God, this is my appointed time with you. I am going to, to be with you. And not just in a block, but first of all, we have that private time that we can receive from him, be filled by him, and then go out with him. Because if we don't start with this appointed time, waiting upon him, Listening to him, when you go out, you'll go out without him. Someone may say, hallelujah, praise God, but that is not an intimate relationship. Are you going with him, in your mind connected with him? 1 John 
15 and 17 talks about some of the physical struggles we have and emotional struggles. It says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in this world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also it's lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Again, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, every one of us, I'm sure here, struggle in some way, in some area. And God's wanting to set us free, but we have to choose. Will we serve him? Will we honor him? Now, it's interesting why we're still in this world. Think with me just for a second. We have this human free choice that involves not only self-determination, think about this, but our ability to do good, but also to do other than good that is evil. You can do good or you can do evil. This is a, a sense of freedom. However, understand this is only temporary. It's only for the purpose of being tested. When Adam and Eve were created in the garden, they were created in creature-like holiness. And when sin, when they sinned, they were being tested and they were set out of the garden. They failed that test. And then we have that inherited sin nature that goes down. And by the way, Adam and Eve were God's best. You and I would have done the same thing. They were without sin. You and I are not without sin. There is a big difference. Now, it's in this life that you and I will be tested. Because God's wanting to bring out the best in you. And you know the passage because it's, it's, if there's a hobby horse, this is one of them. Because I'm always going through a test. How many, else, how many others are going through a test regularly? Anyone? Regularly, isn't it? Will I be patient? Will I trust my husband? Will I trust my wife? Will I trust the job, the car, whatever it would be? No matter what is going on. Again, James makes it very clear in James 1. Consider it all a joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing the test of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have that perfect result. So that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. See, God is using this. God's using this. He's in control of it because he's doing a work in your life. Verse 12, it goes on and says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under that trial. This is the pressure of the trial. For once he has been approved, he'll receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know, these trials will end. The testing will be proved. Either you are trusting and resting in Jesus Christ, or you're trusting in your flesh, in your abilities. You're either believer or you're just a professor of Jesus Christ. For the believer who endures by trusting in Jesus Christ, he receives a crown of life. When we're ushered in at that point, 
You'll no longer ever be tempted to sin. No longer any trials. You'll no longer choose evil, but only good. Again, this is from Norman Geyser, and this is Systematic Theology. It says, this is the reason that before heaven, humans are not both free and unable to sin. When the test is over, when our earthly race is run, then free choice becomes what it is for all eternity, is for God. A self-determined ability will choose only good. You have time on this earth now in these trials to choose life or choose death. To choose good or to choose evil. As I was reading that, I was struck to reevaluate the choices. As Rosa was sharing, the choices. This life is like a vapor. Now, it seems like eternity, but it's a vapor in light of all eternity. The choices that you make today will determine your eternity. Again, while on earth we choose whether we want to do God's will or simply our own. And once the choice is made, our destiny is sealed at death. Again, once we've made that choice, our destiny is sealed at death. A sinner's prayer does not save a person because many people say a sinner's prayer, but they do not believe it in their heart. They're still living in the power of their own flesh and they're not trusting in Jesus Christ. Be not deceived. God will not be mocked because many people are deceiving themselves. Hebrews 9.27 says this, inasmuch as it's appointed for men to die once, after that comes judgment. And when we die, it's sealed for eternity. Well, let's look at our text together. Again, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, first of all, I'm taking this out of the passage. I'm not teaching the context of this passage because really the context of this passage is the setting of it is, first of all, is within a passage of worry, anxiety. Some are worrying so much almost to that point of being sick. It's paralyzing them. That's what anxiety is. Some translate it as anxiety. Some translate it as worry. In that context, this is the answer to all of those problems. Again, when you seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, you know what? God's going to take care of all things. That's the context of that passage. But it's also a key verse for the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, the setting of that is how kingdom people are to live. And that's important to understand. So it works in the context of that. It works within the context of the book of Matthew because Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. And if there is, again, a kingdom, there must be a king. And Jesus is the king. Again, Christians should, and I'm going to say this, and they do, seek first his kingdom. 
Now, the word seek is interesting. Ziteo means to go after, to strive, to pursue, to desire, to aim for, to search it out, to endeavor to get. It's chasing after something until you get a hold of it and not let go of it. So as Christians, if we are to seek first that kingdom of God, there's this pursuing, this passion that, that you just keep going for, and you don't stop until you get a hold of it. As Jesus followers, we have to really settle the question, really, of our priorities. Priorities are hard. I, I have a list every day and sometimes that list changes during the day you ever notice that you you start out and this is what I'm going to do and and God rearranges that whole list it happens so many times because God if he's the Lord of your life he will rearrange those if you fight against him he'll still rearrange them or you can let him rearrange them and recognize these are divine appointments opportunities to see his love and his hand. Now, the priorities is something that each one of us has to evaluate. They must be different for every unbeliever, and they must be different for every believer. Well, first of all, what are those priorities? For unbelievers, those main things are really comfort and security and money and and fashion and being cool. And we have to ask the question, what are the priorities in my life? Is it having a big home? Is it being cool? Is it having money? Is it, is, it, is it my retirement? Christians seek the kingdom of God. That's their priority. That's the first thing that they do. Now, that verb, seek, is important to understand because it's, it's in the, the present imperative. It's a strong command. It speaks of a habitual, ongoing command. It's locking on, like I said, to something and not letting go until you get hold of it. Almost like an obsession. There's no room for questions, discussions, debates of any kind no matter how polite the sentence may be reworded in some translations the fact is it is a command every christian is to seek first the kingdom of god and that's important it can't be debated a person will either choose to accept it and do it or the person will choose to reject it and do what's right in his own eyes The believer is, first of all, to be seeking that kingdom of God and his righteousness. Again, this happens when a person understands who God is, and we'll talk about that more later on, but it's a person who also knows they're sinners. They understand that God has snatched them out of the fire, removed them from the mire, Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. A person that's in another part of the world that is hunger and thirsty, they have this driving passion. They're hungering, they're thirsty. And we're to have this for really his kingdom and his righteousness. It's the same word used in Luke 15, 8, 
Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins, loses one coin and does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? She, she's lost it, but she's not going to quit until she finds it. This is the command. This is how we are to do. He is to be before all things. And it's hard. The poles, the voices in this world, there are many in this world for every one of us, and they're different. It's stretching. It's pulling. But we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice like Joshua, whom we will serve this day. And then we have to lead our own families. And our families may be our immediate family, but it also means our extended family you know, maybe aunties and cousins and uncles. And you know what? You, as Rosa described, there's a family here. There's a family here. And for many of us, it's closer than our own families, sadly. Luke 17, says this, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, another translation will add, for my sake, will preserve it. See, it's when we're seeking first his kingdom, we're putting that again before all things, that's when we preserve our life. It's not in material things. It's not in retirement. It's not in our business. When I was an unbeliever, my God, I'm going to be very honest with you, my God was my business. I was going to go to the big greenhouse in the sky Yeah, but that's how unbelievers think. They have a different agenda. They don't understand the eternal perspective. And while you may laugh, it may be true for you or you may understand in your past life how that works. Now, again, he uses that word first. Seek first, first is significant. You know, first, that means number one number one, but it's more than number one, is protos. It means first in importance, first in priority before anything else is done, we seek first his kingdom. The number one thing when you wake up, the number one thing when you go to work that you are a kingdom-minded person. You're not Calvary Chapel might. You are a kingdom person. You're concerned about his kingdom. You're concerned about the witness when you go out. You're looking for his handprint, looking for opportunities to share. It is priority. It is number one. It's seeking the kingdom of God above all and everything else. If you seek everything else, then the scriptures we saw you're going to lose your life. But if you seek him, I'm going to add that, and his kingdom and his righteousness, that's how you preserve life. These are challenging words for me and you, I know. But we really can't debate it. If you study it, it really will leave you in one point or the other point, one camp, or the other camp. It's a time of reevaluation. It's the most important thing that you will ever do in this life is seek 
first his kingdom and his righteousness. If you don't, you miss the most important thing in this life. It's not the one with the most toys wins. Not that any of us have a bunch of toys. None of us have money here. But I'm going to tell you, you're rich in eternity. You're rich in his love. You're rich in his mercy and his grace. We need to seek first the king. We need a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. When we are seeking the kingdom, we are seeking the one who rules that kingdom. We're seeking the kingdom means both to submit to God's sovereignty here and now and to work for the future of his coming kingdom. Seeking God's kingdom is losing ourselves in obedience to the Lord to the extent that we can say with Paul in Acts 20, 24 makes it clear, but I do not consider my life any account as dear to myself so that I may finish the course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Now this is, not, this is Paul speaking. I know. He's a super apostle Say No, no. This is the words that every one of us, the attitude every one of us really should have. When I began to read that again, I know the passage, but I, I do not consider my life of any account. Boy, those were hard. When I try to put myself in that place, again, but I do not consider my life of any account. Oh, it leaves a nasty taste in my mouth. Does anyone else, un- don't hold your hand up. But you understand it's hard to say those words because we're not completely committed. God was showing me that there's areas in my life that he still wants to grow. And, and that's why I brought up in the beginning, Christians, they, they start as babies. And they're young men. Then they're older men. And fathers. And, and there's, a, there's a time growing. But God wants us to keep growing and, and recognize these things and, and use them. And Romans fourteen seventeen says, For the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking. But notice it's about righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. It's not about flippantly saying things, but it's walking in righteousness. Walking in peace walking in the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's a life that we live. Well, what's, what's more important to you? Well, think about it. What do I seek first? What's the most important thing that you would do first? Now, God's not going to give you any more than I can bear. My, my pastor, he's a hardcore surfer. He could never live in Hawaii because he would be surfing all the time. And and God prevents him from being in that place. And God keeps him in a place that he can grow and mature. And and sometimes that's what God does with you and me. And we're in a place because God wants us to grow. He doesn't give us things that are going to harm us or hurt us. So what is the most important thing to you? Sometimes it's people, objects, it's goals, it's money, it's pleasure. It could be any desire that becomes priority in our life. 
When I became a Christian and, and my business was very consuming seven days a week, when it's 110 degrees outside and you have bedding plants, it doesn't take much to dry those things out and just wilt and, and you have several thousand flats. They just die overnight. People wouldn't show up. And I had to make a choice when I became a believer. What can I do? How can I automate this in order to do what I want to do that seek first the kingdom of God? to be available to God, to be in a place that, that I can keep myself in his love. And I had to make changes in my life so much that I began taking my business and shrinking it down. And maybe God's going to have you do something like that. There may be things in your life that you need to remove or cut back on, eliminate them so your focus can be upon Jesus and Jesus alone. Oftentimes I tell people, and I really believe that when they're sick and, and, and things are happening in life, God's stopping you because he wants to spend time with you. Isn't that amazing? God would want to spend time with you. With you, he loves you so much. Isn't that incredible? That God would want to spend time with grumpy pants here. And, 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 but he does. So he interferes in our life in order to bring us back to that place. Because all these things, they, they rob us of that time with God, but they also rob God of his first place in our life. It robs God of his glory. Well, I want to also talk about something else here because there, there's two phrases that you're going to see in the Bible and, and people are kind of confused by them. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of heaven. Now, they're one in the same. In the book of Matthew, depending on the translation, four to five times the word kingdom or God, or that phrase, excuse me, will be mentioned. But 33 times the kingdom of heaven is mentioned in the book of Matthew. More so in Matthew than any other place. The context of that book, remember, is Jewish. And the Jews would not mention the name of God. They just wouldn't say it in the way that you and I say it today. And out of respect and honor and fear, they would say the kingdom of heaven. And they don't even see heaven in the same way that you and I do. And that's the reason you see it there. But they are the same. Now, they're the kingdom of heaven. And again, as I mentioned, it's almost exclusively in Matthew because of the Jewish context of the passage. But, you know, there's an interesting thought. It's just a side note. When we think of the kingdom of heaven, that is where Jesus comes from. One day, the rule that is in heaven will be here completely. The heavenly kingdom is a spiritual domain. It's not about a, a physical domain. It's about a spiritual domain in our hearts. Now, again, the, the first three Gospels, when you stop and think about it, they proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and the healing of every kind of disease, you see, and every kind of sickness among the people. And, and when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, it's the Sermon on the Mount is concerned with the righteousness. How will you and I get to heaven? Because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. There's none that seek after him. No, not one. But how? 
And then it says in Matthew 5, 20, it says, for I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That was the outward works that called attention to themselves. The kingdom of heaven is not about works of righteousness, but it's imputed righteousness. So important to understand. Now this kingdom, again, a kingdom of God, uh, Bezalia is the word used, and it really focuses on the word rule, reign, and have dominion. The question becomes, is Jesus, again, ruling and reigning in your heart? Does he have dominion over your life? Does he have dominion in, in this world now? And I would say no, or partially. And Jesus demonstrated that he was the king of the, uh, again, of the kingdom of God. That's not even a question, but in Matthew eleven five, notice what he says. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Now, this is a quote of Isaiah 53, and, and again, I think 48, it combines some things together. These were, again, the marks of the Messiah. This is how they would recognize the Messiah. He came to his own. They knew what these were, but they rejected him. They did not receive him. While these were the physical signs of the Messiah, I believe they're spiritual pictures, something that the Lord wants to do much greater in the lives, really, of his people, first in their hearts and then in their lives. See, Jesus, when he came and a person's born again, he manifests himself, his spirit, in the hearts of the believers on earth. Not a kingdom in a physical sense, but, but in our hearts. And there's a changed life that we talk about so often. We'll look back at Matthew eleven five. Notice again, physically, he would heal the blind. Spiritually, when a person's born again, their eyes are opened. Spiritually, they see things that they never saw before. When you are in the spirit, God reveals things. When you're in the flesh, Rosa was sharing. He could not see. He could not hear the spirit of God. The lame walk physically, but when a person becomes a believer, he now walks that straight and narrow path. He now knows that he is to seek the kingdom of God. He knows he's to seek first the kingdom of God. And the lepers cleansed. Leprosy was a picture of sin. That when you and I are born again, that we would be cleansed. We're washed by the water of the word as we seek first the kingdom of God. We're seeking him to know him in the word. And we're seeking his kingdom our hearts, our minds are being washed and cleansed. The deaf hear. We now begin to have spiritual insight that we never had before as long as we're not allowing sin to be habitually in our life. The dead are raised because when a person's born again, he again is alive, he's new in Christ. Until you die, there is no life. We die to the old man and we become alive in Christ. And we find 
that we want to preach the gospel. We'll simply proclaim it, to share it. Some will be very quiet and gentle and loving. Some will just show it in action and wait for the wording. Some will be very bold because we have different personalities, but we will be doing these things as Christians. We will be seeing, we will be walking, we will be cleansed, we will be hearing. We are the raised from the dead. This is what a Christian looks like. Again, notice how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is today this kingdom theology. Again, Jesus is not coming again. And and, and some people believe, some people believe they're in the millennial kingdom and Satan's bound. And I look at the news, I'm not so sure about that one. The kingdom has been partially manifested in the life of the believer spiritually, but he's not ruling and reigning. And we know when the millennial kingdom comes, he'll rule with a rod of iron. He's saying here in Matthew, again, 6.10, your kingdom come, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's done in heaven, but it's not done here on earth yet. We need to pray and fight that spiritual battle. It will come one day. And the only part that you and I know is in our hearts. The changed lives, our attitudes. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. When you and I will only do good and never think of evil again. We can only experience now a foretaste because the best is yet to come. So we seek and we must seek. Remember, it's an imperative. It's, it's an ongoing habitual command. Day in, day out, we are to seek first the kingdom. It's to be priority before all things. We seek it now. We seek it with anticipation of that day. The end of the age when the millennial kingdom is set up, when then his dominion will rule in that final eternity. Matthew eleven fifteen says this, and the seventh angel sounded, there will be loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. This is after that millennial kingdom. There's a time coming we anticipate, we long for, that Jesus is coming and set up his kingdom. Luke 17, 20, and 21 says this. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is is not about not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here he is, there he is. Behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And sadly, there are people still looking for signs today. And we know prophecy is truly being fulfilled. But they're looking for signs and wonders. And and we know the Antichrist will do those. And many other false teachers and false prophets. Christians do not chase after signs and wonders. We seek after the king. We seek to know him with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and strength. 
seek to walk in his kingdom and make his kingdom known to a world that does not know him. Jesus gives us a parable what the kingdom of God looks like. That is now, here. It's interesting. Luke 13. It says, so he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? Notice it's likened. It's a comparison to what shall we compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which the man took and threw, threw into his own garden, okay, and grew it, and it became a tree. So he's taken this mustard seed, he's thrown it in the garden, it's grew, and it became a tree. Generally, the mustard seeds grow about, they're small trees, about 25 feet, depending on the type of mustard you have. And notice that it became a tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, which the woman took and hid three pecks of flour until it was all unleavened, or I mean leavened. Now, leaven is a picture of sin. Now, I want to read one more passage and I'll go back and explain it. Matthew 13, verse 18 and 19. Hear then the parable of the sower. This is the interpretation. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one whom the seed was sown beside the road. So this again, these birds that it's talking about, when you follow the whole thing through, are the evil one, a picture of demonic spirits. It's the work of the devil in so many words. So going back to Luke 13, the idea is in this tree, this again is what we call Christendom, okay? It is growing what seems to be large, bigger than all the other plants around into a small tree, the birds. There are false teachers, false doctrines within the body of Christ. This is what he talks about. The wheat and tear grow side by side. There's false teaching. This is right now. This is why the kingdom of God has not been manifested completely. This is what we're dealing with today. And I have to deal with, if I turn on the TV and I watch one of these guys, there are good guys, but there's some guys that they're just way out. And then he talks again about, again, it is like leaven. The woman took and hid three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Eleven sin has gone through the whole group. Now, that three, again, many believe, is a three branches. Three divisions within what we call Christendom. That's the Orthodox. That is the Catholics. And that is the Protestant. By the way, you're Protestant, and hopefully you're not protesting anything. You're just seeking first the kingdom of God. But within all of those... There's evil doctrine. That's why we seek first the king. We seek him in the word. We seek his kingdom. We seek his righteousness as we see in the word of God. We don't seek a doctrine of a church because God has given us his word and we need to be brands and examine ourselves. Now, there are people that have been in the churches for many years and, and they just believe what the church says and that's a dangerous place to be. Let me read Isaiah. They're talking about Israel, but it applies today. Quoted in the New Testament many times. Isaiah 6, 8 through 10. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? And then I said, here I am. This is Isaiah. Send me. He said, go and tell this people. Keep on listening, but they do not perceive. Keep on looking, 
but they do not understand. Render their hearts of this people their insensitive. The ears are dull, their eyes are dim. And then God says, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. A cross-reference to this passage in Acts 28 tells us they became, this is important, they became insensitive. They no longer, they, they used to see, but they chose not to see. They chose not to hear. They become dull in understanding. And sometimes that's what happens to people who are professing believers that think they're believers. It becomes dull. Oh, I heard that. Oh, I know that. It's no longer exciting. There's dry times in people's lives. That's why we have to keep on seeking because God will bring us to a dry time so we begin to seek him again. That like in Ephesians or the church of Ephesus, excuse me, in Revelation chapter 2, we need to return to that first love relationship. When a person's born again, truly born again, they're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's something that naturally happens. But something happens when we get older. We begin to forget what God has done and continued to do in our lives. That's why it's important to be a Berean and examine it and test it and check myself out. Well, Christians, again, seek God's righteousness. Again, in verse 33, and his righteousness we're seeking. Well, what is his righteousness? Well, the word translated simply means justice, justness, divine holiness. Now, there's a substitute for this in the world Again, and it's a common one for true righteousness, is it's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness makes, again, we saw this in Galatians, it, it makes a list of rules, checks them off, congratulates ourselves for, for doing this list. When all God wants you to do is seek him, his kingdom, his righteousness. He wants a relationship with us. That's what Christians do. Micah. 6.8, Rob, thank you. In a Bible study, I'd read this many times. There was a discussion going on and, and uh, it was spoken. And this verse became a part of my life. That's why it's so important we have this fellowship and these home studies because look what Micah says. It is a beautiful verse. He has told you, old man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? That's you here. But to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. If you're walking humbly with your God, there will be no room for self-righteousness. This is how Christians walk. I believe this is how all believers are supposed to walk. Walk in justice. We are to love kindness in this life, and it's demonstrated the way we live. And walk humbly with our God. Now, again, that word seek, very important. It means, again, to be, be so absorbed in a search, preserving and straining that we grasp this righteousness. I think I heard that in Rosso's testimony today. He wants more of Jesus today. Well, Christians, another thing they do is we see also in that same verse that they should simply rest in the promises of God. Now, I don't see that word but. Sometimes we put the word but 
You know, he's going to take care of, of, of someone here and someone here, but not me. No, it doesn't say that. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be taken care of. Now, the context of passage is the things that they were worrying, the things they were fretting about, the material things. Whether it be a job, whether it be retirement, whether it be health, all things. Not some things, all things. But how do I learn this? This is hard. Peter makes it very clear. Cast your cares upon him who cares for you. It's easy for me to say that to you, right? But how do you cast your cares upon him? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's easy only when you have decided, you've made a choice to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When you come into this relationship personally, you know him. When you've sought him with all of your heart, let me give you a scripture, Jeremiah 29, 13. And this is in the context of discipline. Israel has been disciplined and, and, and God's now speaking, you know, what's going to happen when they turn around. He says, you will seek me and will find me when you search for me with, and I'm going to add, all your heart, and I'll be found. When you seek him, you seek a relationship with him. You know what? God wants to be found. You'll find him. He'll make himself known, but you have to seek. You have to pursue it. You have to, to lock on. And remove anything out of your way that would cause you from seeing him, from coming to know him. When you have come to know him, there's something that happens in your life. When you come to know him personally, you begin to cast your cares upon him. You begin to trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding because you know he has been so good to you. We don't forget the blessings. In fact, when we know that, John fifteen five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We look at that as kind of this is what I got to do. But the person that really knows him chooses to abide in him. You don't even think about it. You just want to be right in the middle of his love. You know that God is good. You just don't say it, you know. You know there's no other place you would rather be. You know the best is yet to come. You know that this life is like a vapor, that he's going to take care of it. You know that all things are going to work for the good. There's not a question. Why? Because of who you know. He's in control. And I think the third thing is, is in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, I choose to use it says, go therefore and make disciples, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, here's another thing. When you have sought him with all your heart, mind and soul and strength, you come to know him, you abide in him. Not only do you abide in him, you're obedient to whatever he shows you because you know it is the right thing. 
You know this is where the joy and the peace come. You know that you can rest in him. You know that he's going to take care of all things because he has been faithful time and time and time again. Well, the question I have for you and me, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Maybe not. We are his workmanship. He's working in our life to change us, to transform us. But what we need to do, as our text said today, is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You know what? All the other things come together. Stand with me, please. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this text. A text that is so powerful. A text that is so convicting. Yet a text that is so revealing. Lord, we just pray that today and each day that we'll see you and know you and we'll want more of you so there'll be less of us and more of you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.